All right. Well, good afternoon, Carol Sills. How do you do, Marco Escott? I am doing really great now that we're speaking together. It's really such an honor to speak with you, and I'm so appreciative of your generosity of your time. Thank you. So um, we've been talking before about your life in the improvisational theater world and your life as an artist, and maybe we should just jump right in. You were married to Paul Sills, founder of Second City, but also with the Compass Theater and Playwrights Theater Club. So That's right. Why don't you tell us how you met Paul? Well, uh, I came, I'm a Canadian. I'm a Montrealer. I came, I wanted to, uh, I came to Chicago and um, ended up with uh, my friend Louise Arnold at around the University of Chicago. I, I myself had finished, I graduated from Canadian universities and was out in the wide world checking out Heartland, I felt. And um, Louise said, Carol, there's a new club in town. Why don't we go see the show? It's called Second City. So off we went. And we thought it was the funniest, best thing we had seen. And we noticed they had, they were advertising they needed waitresses on the weekends. So I said, we can't do that. We're university women. And Louise said, Carol, ridiculous, let's go. So we uh, were hired by the bartender and we worked on the weekends that summer. There was a beer garden next to the theater which was a lovely place, really. So the first time you actually met Paul, what was that like? Well, I was sitting at a table that was the designated place of the actors and the waitresses, happily chatting with each other. When in he strolled, and he looked pretty fine to me. I, I didn't. And I met his mother, Viola, enrolled in a workshop with her. And I, I didn't really see much of Paul that summer. And this is around 1960 or 61, correct? Yeah, and 60. 1960. And what was it like studying with Viola? What was your experience like? Oh, she was uh, so wonderful. I myself had a problem sharing my voice, which was her phrase, share the voice. She never said a word to me about it, but she she would see, she would diagnose the problem of a player, and then she'd play games, and pretty soon that was no longer a problem. She played calling out games, and she had different ways of helping me overcome my soft voice. <laughs> no, I loved working with Viola. She's, and I discovered that I, I, I myself had been raised around the uh, practice of a brilliant progressive art teacher at the museum in Montreal, a guy named Arthur Lismer. He, he was an educator, and uh, he he. He taught group work, and the whole school was geared around 
also around community, there would be, we were, were always preparing festivals for a, a holiday involving, uh, for instance, we, we would create a Palestinian marketplace and then Mary would enter riding on a donkey carrying a real baby. And I remember making canvas sandals to sell in the Palestinian marketplace. And my mother said, but I wanted you to go there and learn how to paint. But these were events. Right. And there were mural, There was painting involved because we painted murals and we were always drawing things. And, but it was always key to uh, shared focus. And when I met Paul and Viola, I saw they had a similar approach. They were they were progressive educators, and the theater, of course, always has a shared focus. Paul said, uh, "Theater is the art form that includes all the other art forms." So I liked that, and um, actually found, uh, um, you see, Lismer, my t Arthur Lismer, the Canadian teacher, felt that the art forms were paramount, and that those, in his mind, were painting, drawing, and sculpture, and we worked in all these mediums, mm -hmm. but there was always a shared curriculum, which would be a subject, a story, a something and so every child not only knew what they knew but were aware that all the others had the same uh, information so it produces a lot of respect for each other in the community of the class you know and that was the same with uh, improvisation for the theater Viola was writing her book at the time and later, we're going to get to this later, but you have been her editor for many years while she was still living. Well, maybe we should talk about it now. What was it like when you started helping to edit Viola's work? Oh, well, uh, she had other people working with her. And in about 1985, she, it occurred to her that... Uh, she'd like me to come aboard. And she was editing. Uh, they, Northwestern would allow her to make any changes she liked as long as they didn't have to change the page numbers. It was called pagination. Right. So we'd go through her whole book, and if she wanted to change, she had different words she wanted to use or new exercises to slip in, we, we would carefully edit. And I found it very inspiring to work side by side with her. She was quite different in working. You know, she was also my mother-in-law. Right, right. And it was quite a different relationship as daughter-in-law to work as her editor. We were, it was fabulous. Oh, that's great. And so can you tell me a little bit more about the differences between being the daughter-in-law and being an editor? 
No, I, I think that I'll let that speak for itself. Okay. But being an editor, we, we, we were, well, it was like we, we had a shared focus, and our focus was what we were working on. And she would, and we were really uh, giving it our, all our intellectual prowess, and she would cry out, Eureka, that's it, Carol, we found it, you know. <laughs> It was very, it was, it was a very creative process, it was. the editorial process with her. And I forget what edition it was, but she said that she had decided to change, instead of using the word motivate and motivation, which she had been using, she decided that a better word to substitute for that word was the word integrate and integration. And, you know, you could just tell the press we want to do that and they, they could press a button and Eureka, that would happen. She changed that word and she said motivation is in the head. Integration is in the whole body, head to foot, it involves everybody and everything. So isn't that amazing? So incredibly inclusive, and in the art you were studying, you were improvising to some degree, and then you meet oh, this yeah. family of people doing improvisational theater. I know. When I came to the states. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought these are my people. <laughs> That's true. And, uh, and and uh, also they were. I think. Aretha told you that uh, my daughter Aretha told you that Paul and I were both reading Martin Buber. Yes, which we discovered on our first date. He was he had Martin Buber in his car. The Tales of the Hasidim. It's true. That's an incredible connection. That's so beautiful. What was Paul like? He was your husband for many years, almost fifty years. Mm-hmm. And he was one. He was, he was one person on stage and directing, but he was another person as a husband. Uh, it's, I, I I never tried to analyze that so much as with the mother-in-law editor thing. But he and I worked together on shows, and as. As husband and wife, we lived in the same house. We had the same, our books were on the same shelves. And we, uh, I, I must say that I provided many of the uh, ideas for shows that he, for instance, Ovid's Metamorphosis. He said, Carol, I don't know what to do. I've done fairy tales now for several, and I, I just happened to be passing the bookshelf or something like that. I said, how about some Greek mythology? And so he went right to work. He just was reading. He said, this is fabulous. I'm going to do all of it. This is really sexy stuff. <laughs> And so you were not. You became a mother early into your marriage. Uh, yes, yes. We, our first baby 
and all our, and we have four daughters, Rachel, and Rachel was, they were all born in Chicago from the year 1961 to the year 1977, so you see, mm. it's a big age difference there. Yeah. But Rachel was the first child, and uh, then we, we 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 were living in uh, both Chicago and New York because he was doing Second City in New York as well at the time. And that's where we were when Kennedy was assassinated. We all remember that day, and. I know that during the Chicago Convention of 1968, uh, you and Paul were doing a show that night, correct? We, we during 90, the summer of 68, you know, well, first, uh, when we came back from uh, New York after Kennedy, we, we, we decided to move back to Chicago and pursue... A, a more meaningful life, meaning uh, to get with our friends and and uh, also our friends were mostly in Chicago and some of them had young children and and with that group we began to play violas games in Lincoln Park on Saturdays mm. and we we wanted to play all of Neva Boyd's traditional games. Not, not Viola's theater games, beg me your pardon. We, we were playing Neva Boyd's tri- books out of her traditional game book. And uh, we were playing big running games, Red Rover and Captain Spall and everything we could. And then in the fall, when the weather got cold, Paul said, let's move into Second City. It was right across the street from Lincoln Park. And in those days, before they had moved up to North Avenue, this was 1963 or 1964, and we did that. And we... We, when it got cold, we went indoors, and it was too small. We couldn't play the big games. Paul said, let's play Viola's theater games. And we were honestly just out with our friends, pursuing our connections with our friends. And then we really, uh, a lot of this group had worked at Second City. And we're actors like Mona and Dennis Cunningham, Mona Mellis and Dennis Cunningham, and Joanne Shapiro, and a lot of them. Anyway, that group said, let's, and then somehow or other, before you know it, we had decided to rent a double storefront, and we started a place called the Game Theater which, like Second City, had a cabaret license. So we had the game theater, and there we workshopped violist exercises, and on the weekends opened it up to audiences, and they came. And they were invited to give suggestions, and 
to join us on stage. So that happened. So you you were jumping ahead of that to 1968. So the game theater, it meant leaving Second City. Paul might have worked there off and on, but he no longer worked at Second City, mm-hmm. and Viola was more or less uh, moved on as well. And uh, so there we were at the game theater. So there in 1967, one afternoon, Paul decided to uh, have the workshop try out a fairy tale. And we did. And he said, look, that skirt, it takes exactly the same time. It's not embellished. It's actually the story. It's pure. And uh, then that happened. The theater game closed. It was an expensive thing to maintain. Viola went back to Los Angeles where she had her little Hollywood Hills home waiting for her. And uh, then the summer of 1968, Paul had been offered by the uh, person who owned the old Second City where the beer garden was, if um, he'd like to have it for the summer free of charge because it was going to be torn down in the fall. And Paul said, I certainly would. And he he was, he and his friends were talking, we were talking about putting the Democratic Party on trial, but Paul said, no, I'm, I'm reading these fairy tales. I've read The Blue Light. He was inspired. So we did um, fairy tales in that space. We built a theater, and we were in there when, you know, that was, 68 was the year that Martin Luther King had been assassinated, and the West Side was in in Chicago, rioted. And then in June, they assassinated Bobby Kennedy. And uh, so Paul was putting on fairy tales but we were also had a show, um, uh, exploring the 10 years up in Boston in the 1700s before the Battle of Bunker Hill. So we had put a, so, and also the Democratic Convention was coming to town. And the yippies were showing up across the street. So it was sort of a pretty wild summer. A very wild summer, tragic time for America. But Paul continues working, and I'm sorry I jumped ahead in history a little bit because I, I did I did want to mention um, the wonderful David Shepard that Paul worked with at the Compass. And, oh yes. And what was that? What was what was what was David Shepard like? Oh, he was a very funny but serious uh, 
person, always uh, very interested in the improvisational form and where it could take people. He was pretty had pretty high standards, but I don't know if he really understood improv. He was coming from a different perspective, I believe. He was cooking up his own exercises. People would do that. They'd say, well, Viola, she does this, I want to do that. You know? So, but Paul and David were very close because they had done so many shows together at the Playwright Theater Club and at Compass. And uh, they'd worked with many of the same players. And now, was Ed Asner one of those players? Mike Nichols? No, Ed, Ed, Ed was, uh, after his uh, career at, at Playwrights, and maybe not the Compass, he, 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 went, he, he had a career, but it was in the commercial realm where he was so successful. He was just a, an amazing actor. Paul would tell me that he saw him play uh, the Archbishop of Murder in the Cathedral when he was about 18 years old. He, he, he just couldn't get over Ed's talent. And your children played together, you said. Oh, when we were in L.A., yeah, we'd see them socially. And his daughter, Liza, and my daughter, the old, oldest children played. My uh, after Rachel came Polly three years later. Okay. And then when Rachel was about, Rachel and Polly were about eight and five or something, along came Aretha and uh, so on. Neva waited a good deal. She came in 1977. So we have these very interesting daughters. Uh-huh. And of course we we can't forget of course Aretha. She I guess was the last. No, Neva's the youngest. Oh, Neva's the youngest. I'm sorry. I didn't get that right. Yeah, Aretha Aretha came along in uh, 1969. Oh, okay. Right after this famous year in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, but she was born in Chicago too. Now you named a daughter Neva, and you knew Neva Boyd, the wonderful woman who brought the folk tales from around the world in her in her writings. And you got I knew of her. I never never met her, but um, Paul, uh, of course, had known her. And when Neva was born, we didn't have a name for her for a little while, but. Paul was on his way home from a workshop, and he was thinking to himself, what a wonderful person that Neva Boyd was. And he burst in the house and said, "Let's." so we call the baby Neva. And we called Viola on the phone in California, and she said she had a vision of Neva Boyd right then and there, and she said it would be absolutely wonderful. Call her Neva. So that's how it happened. That's that's a beautiful story. Um, yeah. So I think 
some people know, but not everybody knows that once you were married with Paul, maybe before, you were involved in all his productions. You might have been doing design or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even if he did a show at Second City, he'd ask me to create projections or help him stage it. Because he always had the... And he had worked before in playwrights. He said he, he was an abstract painter who created projections, and they were very strong. They gave him the pizzazz he needed on stage. So he was very interested in making a original work for a show. And and I, so I ended up, because he was always making a show, and often, uh, for instance, when we, we, we did buy this, we, we moved to northern Wisconsin. After doing story theater in Vancouver, and, you know, a, after, for instance, we're in 1968, and this space that, they tore down in the fall, so Paul was invited by Yale to come and do something, workshops, with the students at the Yale Repertory, at the drama school at Yale University, where he had a repertory theater company. We went there, and they needed a show, and, and they invited Paul to do story theater. He had just come from Chicago, and... Paul created that for Robert Brewstein at Yale, and it was really a hit. It's what you'd call a hit at Yale. So um, that, and it was seen by, um, it was a fellow who was conducted at the Mark Taper Forum in L.A. He came out and... Uh, invited Paul to bring the show to uh, L.A. So Story Theater, Paul went and got his old gang together. His early Second City actors were by this time all working in L.A., having successful careers in television and film. So they all came and worked for Paul, and again... He had that company, and now they were doing story theater. And that show was such an amazing success that pretty soon everybody in New York wanted it to be brought to Broadway. And so it was. And this really, following that, it went, he was invited to make a 26-week television series and this was done in Vancouver uh, in the summer of, uh, what was that? We've been, by this time, about 1971. So in the, that two-year period after 1968, Story Theater just bloomed and blossomed all over the place. So you were asking me if I designed for it, and I did, even in uh, in Canada, I was named story editor, it helped that I was Canadian, but uh -huh. Paul had me 
working with the designers and the costume people. But I always did that. Well, there's a, a, a wonderful book uh, that Paul wrote, Story Theater, Four Shows. And yeah. it's a fantastic book, and there's the part that you wrote about design included in uh-huh. this. And right. It, it, it indicates how I was able to use uh, projections for each scene and, and move them. It's a little complicated, but it's possible, and it's in there. I, I was going to just mention about Paul. He also writes about story theater in there, and you get to have the sense of the, his belief in the power of the actor becoming a storyteller and the actors being able to play as chorus and, and how move in and out of the role required by the story as storyteller and I mean it, it's it's a wonderful book it's called Applause Books is the publisher it's called Paul Sills Story Theater Four Shows and it includes a bunch of fairy tales called The Blue Light and other stories mm-hmm. it includes Charles Dickens A Christmas Carol Rainer Maria Rilke's Stories of God and uh, stories by Rumi, the uh, poet. Yes. And um, so it's a beautiful selection. And if anybody is the slightest bit interested in story theater, I recommend you go online and order yourself a copy. Um, quite a lot of the time Paul worked with a a brilliant poet writer named Arnold Weinstein who who would create the lyrics for his shows and we have so many shows waiting to be published Um, there could be another applause was going to make a second edition it would be Paul and Arnold's shows. Oh, wonderful. And the other thing that, that they did together was um, they did uh, the American Revolution, which I mentioned that Paul was doing when uh, in the summer of 1968. We had a sign painted on the outside of the theater saying, Coming soon, the American Revolution. <laughs> and that was just about the moment that they they began chasing everybody around. The cops began beating us up. So, but that was 1968. By 1975, or 73 and 75, Paul had a full show with Arnold's lyrics. He played it at the the, um, theater in Washington, D.C., where Lincoln died. Mm -hmm. At that theater, we we did the show in in D.C. with a wonderful cast. Severn Darden played uh, Samuel Adams. Mm. And um, 
John Brent with John Adams. Anyhow, he, he then did it again at, at Victory Gardens Theater in Chicago. And the critics always said it was just too much, too much history. Mm-hmm. But Paul himself was... Uh, and sincerely a radical thinker and felt that it was important for uh, the children to know these stories. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something that we could see published along with Paul left a lot of writing on the subject of the American Revolution. A lot of writing on the subject of story theater and on community. So after all that moving around of the story theater show, um, we um, no longer centered ourselves in Chicago. We, We got an old homestead in northern Wisconsin and made our home out of it and built studios and it was from 1870 so the buildings had a lot of character and we, we, we made studios in the barn and Paul rehearsed uh, story theater with the local community and so he never stopped believing in community and in the winter months, we'd go to New York City, where he, with his old friend Mike Nichols, started a, an acting school called New Actors Workshop, that, and along with George Morrison. So there, uh, Paul taught story theater. We 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 lived on the Upper West Side, and. Uh, our children were in school, or so we we would either be working in L.A., New York, but but there at this school in New York, every spring with the graduating class, Paul created another show. So there are series of shows that were done there that remained to be published. Some of them were also done in Door County, Wisconsin, where the farm is. So I'd say I'm still working in story theater because I have to um, organize this archive and hope to publish these shows. Oh, that that would be fantastic because I too think people sh- people should get the story theater book because it's so brilliant. The introductions, the part that you wrote, and and the theater games in the back for story That's theater. Right. It's, it's yeah, Vi- Viola. It's a, a bunch that she wrote especially for. You know, she decided those should be there. I think it's an important book. Definitely, definitely. And you, you also, I, I think we mentioned that at some point, Story Theater was a Tony nominee for the Broadway production. Oh, yes. And, and it's, I, I don't remember the names of all the prizes it garnered in, uh, at the Mark Taper Forum, but there it was, won all the best directors, 
And then we did uh, follow uh, that Yale production of Story Theater was Paul, Paul, by the way, Paul's friend, uh, Mike Nichols, made a huge contribution to Paul more than once. Not only did he help start the school where he himself, Mike, taught theme study, but he, he uh, made, helped Paul start a theater in Chicago after Yale. Paul came back to Chicago and he started a um, theater called The Body Politic. Actually, we did. I came up with the name. The Body Politic is where he did Ovid for the very first time. Uh And it was done with a young company, and it was really... Uh, quite a blast and quite a success locally. And I remember um, Stud Sterkel's wife came and uh, she said, Paul, you've finally done one for the ladies. And she laughed and laughed. <laughs> By the way, Ida Turkel, when we did the game theater, I told you it was a community effort. And we also started a school there for our children that was called the Parents' School. Right. And we also, Ida Turkle came and she wanted to uh, have the Women for Peace meet there and we invited her. And I taught mural painting there. But it it was uh, the Parents' School got shut down because we had a liquor license. That was how you had a cabaret theater. Nobody drank, but anyway, you couldn't have a nursery school in a cabaret. So they shut us down and we had to find a church. So, But the parent school existed for years and years and our Rachel attended that and a lot of other kids we know and Polly and Cunningham Mellis kids. The Le Glare kids was a pretty, in its day, the parent school was quite an important place for our kids. Well, there were many brilliant parents involved with it, I take it, and helping create a really positive learning environment, which we don't see too many yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, they, they, uh, we, we, we said that we only taught through art forms. So we taught uh, uh, storytelling. We did, we played games. We painted murals. There was, uh, painting was huge in that school. You have done so, you've done so many different things. I don't think we've even touched on them all, but I, I think it's important to recognize that you worked so hard, you had children, and would you say that you were having fun, that it was fun? Oh, yes, it was. I think the the difficulties were that the children got uh, uprooted frequently. Right. But um, on the other hand, sometimes uh, they appreciated that. So... 
You continued to work up in Door County, didn't you, for uh, summer workshops up there? Oh, yes, yes. We conducted, Paul. I was like the uh, registrar. We supported ourselves by Paul's. Paul conducted workshops for years in Viola's theater games. Wherever we lived, you could take a workshop with Paul's cells. And and in the summertime, we offered week-long intensives. And you haven't had any since 2018? Is that right? Right. Uh, maybe 17. Well, well, we, 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 we did something, but, but seriously, it's waiting. The next generation is going to be picking up. Uh, I also have a grandson who uh, is turning into an, an actor, a performer, and he's a musician and a player. His name is Make, which he's named after Viola's father, Make Mills. Mm-hmm. And that is Rachel's son, Make. So he's uh, he's going to take Aretha's intensive later this month in Chicago. Uh-huh. And Rachel's coming, and she's going to play. I have one actress and one great coach and one tattoo artist and... Of course, everybody can do everything, right? You know, that's and and then Neva, who's a painter and a coach. So Neva is a very talented painter, and so I have uh, between them all, I've got granddaughters. Aretha has a daughter, and Rachel has a daughter and a son. Anyway, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, the Viola's work to me is about play, and it's there's so many different forms of improvisation being taught today. And to me, yes. Viola is the mother of improv and continues to be the source out of which all great improvisation can come. What do you think about that? Well, you you just used the word source. I I think so because. You know, she used to say, I'm really writing a cookbook. <laughs> she said, you can go to the book. And, and Paul always told his students, he said, I teach by the book. I open it, and every exercise is presented in a way that helps me present it to you. You know, there's a, every game has a focus. Is a definition of the game, a, you know, a description mm-hmm. of that, what the game is, consists of, a few notes, examples of side coaching, and and then she always calls for an evaluation, which was very simple. It was basically, did you keep the focus? Players, audience, do you agree? And and she all she made it so possible for anyone who took a workshop to also be able to present the games and play the games with their group, you know. Yeah. You know, one of the things I discovered um, 
shortly when I, I started teaching is the uh, file, the card files of the games. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. And it has a nice little handbook. Yes. Did, did, did you help on that project? Um, no. Uh, Paul was to some extent. I think it came out just before I... I really became her editor in 1985. I can't remember exactly. But um, that was uh, a big deal when that came out, that thing. And a lot of... Now, I think people are working online. I hope they're I, I want to also say that a lot of people order the books on, uh, and they can buy her earlier editions, but they should really try and buy her third edition because it has all her final games in it. And it's just the most important book of all. It's called The Third Edition. And I worked for a couple of years on that. Uh, so I, I, but somehow or other, people take their old books, sell them online, and uh, people think the earlier editions are more important. But she, she, she learned that she went, and she, her work evolved in serious ways. It's such an it's such an important piece of literature. I work with a lot of I'm a therapist and I work with other therapists and sometimes give talks and when I talk about Viola and Neva I say this book of Viola's every therapist should read it because it's not just yeah. about the games it's about being human. It's about getting out of our heads. It's about play and her insight. That's right. I mean she was like a psychologist. Her insight into the human being was phenomenal. And she always used to say from head to toe. <laughs> she wanted the, the whole being involved. Right. You know, by the way, you tell me that you yourself work with people who have Parkinson's. Yes. I've been, and I'm, yeah. I'm one of those, uh, as I told you, so I just wanted to mention that. Oh, thanks for mentioning it. Yeah, I love working with my Parkinson's folks. They Sometimes they come with a care partner or not. And even people who might have difficulty walking or speaking, we always start off with there's no mistakes. And uh-huh. there's no mistakes at all. And whatever you do is meant to happen. And I have students that have been with me almost two years, the same students, because they love it so much. It's, it's wonderful. Well, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, I'm sure it's helpful. I wish if I were there, I'd come and take your workshop. Oh, that would be an honor. You could teach it. (laughs) But if I could be in Door County, I would rather be doing my interview in the beautiful Door County. It's so spectacular up there. Now, you're getting ready to go down to Hull House. We never even mentioned Jane Addams and Hull House. Oh, yes. I'm going there later in June. Oh, June. Yeah, yeah, June 20th. Are you going to be there? I'm not able to be there, unfortunately. Okay. But another time, yeah. I hope to, because it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, 
Right. Well, we'll 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 get together somewhere, and you're going to be interviewing Mr. Asner. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, then, thank you so much for. I feel like I found a friend in you, Carol, and I'm just so grateful for your time, energy, and all the work and love that you've put into this beautiful improvisational theater world. And I'm hoping people learn more about you and what an incredible contribution you made. Thank you. And I wish you the best. Thank you. Thank you. So long now. So long.